0: There was a priest and he worship finished and he asked his congregation, he said, how many of you forgave your enemies? Everybody held up their hand except for one, and I'm just reading what it says here, so don't pick at me, except for one dear old lady in the second row on the right-hand side, first chair closest to the aisle called Del. (laughs) I can show you later, Del. It's, It's right here, it's written. It is written. Everyone put their hand up except for her. And then the priest says, are you denying forgiveness to your enemies? And the woman says, no, dear. Says, I just have no enemies. This is very unusual, says the priest. How old are you? She says, that's none of your business. That's a rude question to ask in front of a congregation. Uh, but I'm 98 years of age. The guy is so impressed. He says, would you be so kind as to come up here and tell us, how is it possible that someone near 100 years old has no enemies whatsoever? So she stands up, walks to the front, turns around with a big smile and says, I've outlived all the suckers. (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) We've been talking the last... uh, sort of few months um, out of Psalm 103. I think it is, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And we've been looking at the benefits. Uh, David goes on, and we don't know why David felt the need to stir himself up and remind himself to remember the benefits of God. Whatever was going on in his life, we don't know. But David felt the need to speak to himself and go, hey, come on, Shake yourself up. Remember the benefits of God. Remember that you serve a God and that there are benefits. There are things in your life, things available to you and so on, that are available to you because of your entrance into the kingdom of God, because of your relationship with God. Then he goes on, he lists, he says, forgives all your sins, heals your diseases, redeems your life, he goes through. So we've been looking at some of those benefits And it's a bit like an airline ticket, you know, you buy a ticket on a plane and it takes you from Brisbane to Paris and it's not just a ticket to Paris, included in that ticket is not just the destination but there are some things on the way, you get on the plane, it's really, really cold, you get them big fluffy slippers, you get to put them on your feet. They weren't yours, but they're a benefit of being on that airline. You get a big blanket that you get to wrap around you. You get a little box in front of you. You press buttons. You can play games, Mario Kart all night, watch whatever movies you want, plug the headphones in, listen to music. It's a benefit. You bought a ticket to get you to Paris, but that ticket gave you so much more. It's not just about the destination, but there are things that ticket gave you that are part of the journey. And sometimes I think as believers, we think that our our reconnection through faith back with God, that... We're wiping our brow, going fantastic. Got my fire insurance. It's all about the destination. I'm not going to go to this ugly place in the Bible that the Bible calls hell. I'm going to be in heaven and spend eternally with God. That's and we're just happy with that. But yet, there are benefits that come with that ticket as well. There are things that God wants to do in and through us on the journey. And so we've been looking at some of these benefits that David talks about. We've only just started a few weeks back, but. The first benefit David mentions is he forgives all your iniquities, forgives all your sins. So we've been looking at this issue of forgiveness. And we've been looking at two specific areas. I'm going to move on to the third today. First one was our forgiveness from God. That God forgives everything you've done. doesn't matter what is. It doesn't matter how you feel about it, what you think about it. God has pronounced that you're forgiven. And that's what the death of Jesus was all about. Uh, When I sin, when I make mistakes nowadays, I I don't have to go back to some kind of Old Testament ritual and do something, perform some kind of sacrifice in order to get forgiveness. Forgiveness was was presented to me 2,000 years ago through an act in a specific moment in time in history called the cross. And from that moment on, forgiveness has been extended out to me. In the Old Testament, they would kill an animal and Hebrews talks a lot about this. They would go and kill an animal and the blood would be spilled, would remind them that they were sinners. It would constantly be reminding them of their sins. How many of you need to be reminded of your sins or how many would you rather be reminded that you're now a saint? I don't need to be reminded every day of my sins, but yet when I sin, I remind myself I want to reach back and find some kind of sacrifice or something I can do to prove to God that I'm worthy of being forgiven. But the cross was so powerful that all I need for my forgiveness happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus is not being re-crucified every time I sin. So instead of crawling around on my hands and knees, begging God every day, oh Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me, I'm a sinner, forgive me, I stand on my feet and go, Father, thank you that I am forgiven. Thank you that I've been transformed. I still make mistakes and so on, but I'm forgiven by God. We talked about receiving forgiveness from God. Secondly, we talked about forgiving ourselves. Because some of us have done some things and we struggle with that and maybe we live in the consequences of some of those things. And just because we've got our life right with God, how many of you know every consequence of your life before that didn't just disappear? Sometimes we still live with consequence and so on. Sometimes we beat ourselves up because of the consequences we're in. So we talked about forgiving ourselves. I want to move on today to the third area of forgiveness and that is forgiving others. Let me preface by saying this is not an exhaustive... I mean, if we wanted to to get into the Bible and look at all the aspects and areas of forgiveness, we could spend 12 months preaching a whole series on what the Bible teaches about forgiveness, what it means, what it's about, how it's enacted, all that stuff. So I'm not trying to exhaust this issue of forgiveness. But there is something on my heart today that I want to say to us, and that is this, that one of the fruits of being a forgiven person is that we become a forgiving person. One of the fruits of being a forgiven person is that we become forgiving people. So I want to have a look at a a couple of things in here, in the Bible. And at the end of this morning, I want to just create a bit of space up the front here. And I'm praying and believing that as I speak, that the Holy Spirit's going to stir some stuff up inside of you. Because sometimes when we think about unforgiveness, we think about the big things, don't we? We think about somebody that did something that was so shocking and tragic that it altered the future of my life. Maybe it altered my existence. I'm a totally different person now because of something that happened here that somebody did. And we see the issue of forgiveness to be revolving around a big ball of something, some big event. Yet for many of us, we live daily with little bits, little grains of sand of unforgiveness inside of us towards people that are even close to us. And we don't clean that stuff out. We don't deal with it. And before you know it, all those little grains of sand build up in the jar. And one day you realise, you know what, I have this relationship here. It's not as free. It's not as great as it once was. I can't put my finger on any one big event, but it's just not. And maybe it was just a series of little things where we allowed unforgiveness. We allowed hurt and bitterness and stuff to to, to stay there, undealt with and uncleaned out. And one day we wake up and we go, where do we start? I don't even know where to start because I don't know where it ended. I don't know where this thing came from. So as I talk this morning, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will will speak to you. At the end of church, I'm going to open up the front. We're not going to pray with you, but I want to give you a chance to maybe just come on up and maybe hand some of that unforgiveness, some of that bitterness, that stuff over to the Lord. Business between you and God. If you've got a Bible there, go there to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. I love Peter. Who loves Peter in the Bible? Yep, he's a pretty cool guy didn't mind saying what was on his mind and then think about it afterwards. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? It's a funny number to come up with seven. I wonder whether Peter was sitting there going, you know what, you know that, that John, that little guy that sucks up to Jesus all the time, he's Jesus' best buddy. Yeah, he, he didn't acknowledge me the other day when we had a team barbecue. He did not acknowledge, I walked past him, and said, how are you, John? He just kept in, I just pop a little grain of sand in the jar there, he ignored me once. And then there was another time where, where, where we were riding past on horses and I did this the other day, I'm driving down the road past you, Paul, and you're driving towards me and I'm looking at you and I swear you're eyeballing me and I waved like a Cheshire cat at you and you just ignored me and drove straight past. So I took a grain of sand, I put it in the little Paul Worth jar Just sits in there, building up, building up. Didn't really happen. But we do those kind of things. We just put a little grain of sand in there and it becomes this little thing that builds, that builds, that builds. And so Peter says, how many times should I forgive? And maybe he's thinking in his head, I've done it six times. So Jesus, if you say the word, I know, one more time, then I can just unleash the beast on whoever this person is. Maybe he's thinking, I don't know. But he asks us this question, he says, Jesus, should I forgive up to seven times? Now, there was a popular teaching by the, the Jewish rabbis at the same time as these disciples walked around. And their teaching was this, that you would, basically you could forgive three times, there was no need for a fourth time. And it goes back to the book of Amos, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And Amos in chapter one, I think it is, pronounces certain judgments on some cities. And he goes, for three transgressions, basically summarized it, for three transgressions, you can, there's forgiveness, but not for four. And he goes through this city after city. So the Jewish rabbis in the day used to teach that three, yes, four, no. So Peter's probably thinking, I'm doing a really good job here. I've doubled it, plus added one. Jesus, you know what? They teach three times and then come down hard. I'm saying seven times. How much better am I? You know. And then Jesus says this to him. He says, I do not say to you up to seven times. But up to seventy times seven, and I can imagine Peter standing there going. Pulls out his pocket calculator and starts punching in the numbers. You know, looking up at Jesus, going, "Did, did I? Hit, did you say seventy? Like a zero at the end? Yeah. No, you, no, no. That's right. That's what I thought you said. You know. that's a lot. How many of you know Jesus wasn't? speaking in numerical value. So I don't want you to write down now the actual number of forgiveness is what, 490. Is that right? 777, is that right? I'm not great at maths. 490. So don't anybody write down in your book, Al said we've only got to forgive 490 times because you probably know people who you've already done 486 on, yeah? There are people in your life and they've used up 486 of those forgivenesses and now you're excited, now you're pumped because you feel like God's now giving you permission three more times. You're in their face going, I dare you to offend me, I dare you to offend me. That's one, do it again. That's Wow, I'm going to unleash the beast on you now. And Jesus said it's okay because it's 491. Gotcha. Woo. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. And we know that, we're, we're laughing, but we know what Jesus is getting at. He's saying we should have forgiving hearts towards other people. We should have a heart that's default setting is forgiveness. Not holding grudges, not bitterness. But we should have a default setting in our heart that lends towards forgiveness of other people. Then Jesus goes on and he shares this story. He says, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with a servant. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That is a lot of money. If you go back and study what a talent was, that is basically a debt that no human being would be able to repay. That is huge. He says, there was one brought to him who owed 10,000 talents, but as he was not able to pay, if you, if you mark your Bible, that's an important word, he was not able Not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Have patience with me and I'll pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with what? Compassion. He was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. This man had a master. And Jesus is saying that he owed something to the master. He was indebted to the master. In other words, he had taken something from the master. He had taken something from him. And as far as the master was concerned, you owed me that which you have taken from me. You know, when people hurt you, when when unforgiveness builds inside of us and bitterness and anger, how many of you know that we live life a little bit like that? Things were said to me when I was younger. And those words took something from me. They took something from me. Things were done to me when I was young. And those actions took something from me. And I understand the master. Because I feel like you owe me a debt. You need to give back to me that which you've taken from me. And you're sitting here in this room and maybe you've been hurt. Things have happened to you in life. Some of them are big golf ball moments where you can straight away go, that happened And I know what it is. Some of us, it's like little grains of sand. They're little things that build up over time. But what happens is we have interactions with people. And we go away from that interaction feeling like deep inside, you have taken something from me. It doesn't have to be a material thing. You have taken something from me emotionally. I can no longer get excited about things. Because you took something from me. And when we have that feeling inside of us, that that bitterness, that anger, usually it's because whatever interaction, we, we feel like something's been taken from us. The end result of a debt, when we feel like somebody owes you something, the end result, if not dealt with properly, is unforgiveness. We end up with these seeds inside of us, call it whatever you want, anger, malice, whatever, we get frustrated, impatient, whatever, but it builds within us this big hive of unforgiveness towards that person because you have taken something from me. You know, I I look back at my childhood and I feel like there were lots of things taken from me. But what's interesting is this. The master approaches the servant and says, give it back. The servant goes, I can't. I actually can't give it back to you. It doesn't say in there that the servant was unwilling to give it back. It says he was unable to give it back. And how many of you know when you've been wronged by people, the way that we think in a perfect world is this. You've wronged me. You come to me, you confess that wrong. And you put what you took from me back in me and then I will release you and we can get on with life. But until you can come and put back in me what you took from me, until you can pay that debt to me, I can't move on. This man was unable, not unwilling, unable. And you know what I bet? I'll bet you that most people... Most people that have done the wrong things to you and to me, who have hurt me, disappointed me, let me down. The the people that in my heart I struggle to want to forgive. I'll guarantee you this, and I've learnt this in my own experience, you can disagree, that's okay for me. 99.9% of those people can't give it back. They're unable. You know why? Probably because a lot of them had no idea what they were taking from me in the moment. They actually had no idea what they were taking from me when they said those words. When I was a young boy, my father, and I love my dad, I preface this by saying I love my dad, um, but when I was a young kid and I, I played football in Sydney and then we got tr- uh, moved and I moved out to Mudgee out west East South Wales. Any Mudgearians here? Mudcrabs, we call it Mudgy Mudcrabs. Anyway, I moved out to Mudgee and I remember wanting to play rugby league and I was very passionate about my league as a kid and I wanted to play, but I had to get a birth certificate and a transfer from my club in Sydney to there. And I remember um, you know, saying, Can you, could you send away, get my birth certificate? And dad said, yeah, he would. And I kept bugging him every week. We're training, the games are playing and I still can't get a release to play and I'm bugging, bugging, bugging. And in the end, he turned around to me and he said, well, don't worry about it. You were never that good anyway. Now, he didn't mean to hurt me. He didn't mean to to take self-confidence away from me. He didn't mean to embarrass me in front of people that were there. He didn't mean any of that stuff. He was not a mean-spirited person. He didn't want that to happen. But in that moment, he took something from me. Most people that have taken things from you didn't mean to do it. They may have meant to do the action, but most people don't think, what's this going to cost the other person? How many of you have parented 100% perfectly? How many parents here have said things or done things to their children? How many married people here have done things to their spouse, their partners? How many people here have done something that you, 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 after you did it, you realise what you did, but at the same time you realise you can't take it back, but it's out there? Most people who hurt you are weak, not Wicked. The problem of humanity is that we are weak, not necessarily wicked. We view the perpetrators as wicked. And we struggle with that. I don't want to let the wicked off. I've got no compassion for the wicked. But most people who've hurt us in life are not wicked, they're weak. Weak people do wicked things. But the problem is not that they're wicked, they're weak. And if we see them as wicked, we struggle to forgive. If we can bring ourselves to a place of compassion as the Master did to see them as weak, we give ourselves the best shot ever at allowing forgiveness to flow and for the jar to be cleaned in our lives. Most people who've hurt you are weak not wicked they're weak they're not wicked Luke 23 verse 33 to 34 Jesus being nailed to the cross he he makes this statement he says and when they had come to the place called Calvary there they crucified him and the criminals one on the right hand and the other on the left and Jesus said this he said father forgive them they do not know what they do. They don't know what they're doing. I'm trying to imagine laying there on a tree, on a, on, on a, on a piece of, of wood that's not smooth, it's not pretty. It's not varnished and stained a nice colour. And I've got my back rubbing up against that and seeing a man to my left and a man to my right pick up big pieces of iron and drive them through my hands. And then to have the capacity to say to God, forgive them. These guys here are just doing their job. They're just doing what comes naturally to them in their position in this world, in their position in life. Jesus had compassion for people. And when we find within ourselves compassion for others, then forgiveness begins to flow freely through us. Forgiven people... The fruit of being a forgiven person is we become forgiving people. Now I'm not talking today about the person that wronged you. Because here's the reality of life. You have 100% control over one thing. And that's you. Wouldn't it be great if all those people that wronged us could come to us, could see that they'd done wrong, could understand the impact of that, knew exactly how much the debt had taken from us and could come and restore it and say, I'm sorry, wish I never did it, wish I never said it. In a perfect world, wouldn't that be great? Too many people, we sit back and we're waiting for that to happen before we feel like we can release forgiveness. I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches, that we sit here and we hang on to our bitterness and our unforgiveness towards others until the perpetrator comes and humbles himself before me. You have no control over that person. You are going to be bound in a prison for the rest of your life if you're sitting back thinking your freedom has to happen and be actuated by somebody else. I have to make the choice, and it's a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. I've got to make a choice to release forgiveness. You ever thought about this? God forgave you before you asked him. You ever thought about that? God chose to forgive you. He chose to forgive you before you asked for it. He didn't wait till humanity said, We need a Savior. Jesus, would you? He chose to forgive us before we asked for it. It's a wild thought. We accepted that invitation, but He made a decision. Do you think that forgiveness was a feeling in the mind of God? Did God wait till he felt like it? I hate comparing the feelings of the eternal God with the feelings of a human being, but, but for the sake of illustration, can you imagine him sitting there, watching Jesus be crucified and feeling like forgiving everybody for that? God chose to forgive humanity. It wasn't a feeling, it was a choice that he made. And forgiveness for us is exactly that. It's a choice. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice that we need to make. The fruit of being a forgiven person is that we become forgiving people. So how do we find the compassion to forgive others as we've been forgiven? Well, Jesus shared another story. We didn't share a story, he had an experience in Luke chapter 7. Verse 36 to 47. Luke chapter 6, verse 36 to 47. I'll just read it out to you. Chapter 7, 36, where are we to 47? Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come and eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at a table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. She stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She began to wash his feet with the tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee, who had invited him into dinner, saw this, he spoke to himself. He said, this man, if he was a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Jesus knew his thoughts. He said, Simon, I've got something I want to say to you. Simon said, go ahead and say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon... You see, this woman said, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's washed my feet with her hair, with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. This woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Jesus was not endorsing the Pharisee, Simon. He was not saying, well, Simon, you're a pretty together dude. And so, you know, your sins were just a few grains of sand in the bucket. It was easy to clean that out. This woman, though, she had golf ball sized ones in there, man. She was filthy, she was dirty. She had to be forgiven so much more than you had to be forgiven. In other words, her sins before the eyes of a perfect God were so more damaging and disgusting than yours were, Simon. She looked pretty good, Simon. Jesus was not endorsing Simon. What Jesus was saying was this woman has a correct perspective of her own life. Simon, you don't. She knew what it was like to be a forgiven person. She knew what she had done. She knew the damage she had probably caused to other people. She knew what her sin must look like to God. Her own personal sin must have looked like to a perfect and holy God. She knew it. She got it. And because she knew that, because she knew how much she had been forgiven, then the fruit of that was love. The fruit of that from a person who knows how much they've been forgiven. The fruit of that life is we cannot help but forgive others. If we struggle to forgive other people, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, we're yet to have a revelation of what we've been forgiven of. Maybe. When I understand... How much compassion I've had from God, the fruit of that is I then have that compassion and I give that compassion to other people. Because the people who've wronged me, they're not wicked, they're mostly weak. Weak people do wicked things, yes they do. And the actions and activities of some people are unspeakable. And you can't forget them. And forgiveness, by the way, is not about forgetting. You don't forget some of the stuff that happens to you in life, but you learn to forgive and the way that you learn to forgive is by getting compassion for those people. The way you get compassion for those people is to understand how much compassion you have received from God. And you take that and you reflect that back to other people. For all have sin and fallen short of God's glory, every single one of us. Let me tell you something about my life. I used to be a part of a group. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Don't let it leave this room. I used to be a part of a secret group. You ever heard of the Illuminati? In, uh, you ever heard of that group, the Illuminati? I was part of one called the Humanati. Humanati. And I was in this group and there was a plethora of us from every tribe, nation and tongue. And we were just, we decided one day that there was a perfect father and we got together and we said, let's kidnap his son. Let's abduct his perfect son. I was a part of that group. hate to say it, but I was. And we abducted this man's, this perfect man's perfect son. And we publicly humiliated him. We publicly humiliated him. We paraded him around through the streets in front of people. We spat on him. We beat him. We made him feel like he was a worm, no longer a man. One of the guys in our group, he suddenly had a moment of compassion. He came up with an idea, hey, we can actually let him go. We can let him go. Let's just let him go and pretend this never happened. And the rest of us said, no way. We won't let him go. We're not going to let him go. We overruled this other member of our group. And in the end, we did what we wanted with him. We prayed him through town. We spat on him. We ripped at his beard. We beat him with whips, tortured him. We took him up the top of a hill in public view of everybody. We laid him down on a big piece of wood. We got big pieces of iron. We drove it through his hands and his feet. We lifted up that big piece of wood. We dropped it in the ground with a big clunk. And we watched him as he suffocated slowly to death in front of us all. I was a part of that group. What I didn't know was that I was busted. And what shocked me more was that the judge in the case happened to be his dad. And I was so embarrassed and so ashamed at what I had done, that I walked into that courtroom and I thought, this is it, it's over. It's over. I will get my just desserts. There's no way out of this. I mean, how could this guy, that was his son I did that to, how could? And the judge looked at me with compassion and he said, you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. How can I not walk out of that courtroom and become a forgiving person? How can I not do that? We all know the story in Matthew 18. What did the guy do? As soon as the master released him, he ran out. He grabbed another guy that owed him a little bit of money. And what did he do? Grabbed him by the throat, the Bible says. He said, pay up. The guy said the same thing back to him. I'm unable. Be patient with me and I'll pay you. He said, no, I won't. And he threw him off to the prison guards and threw him in prison. Well, the master found out about that and we know the rest of the story. He wasn't very happy about that. Jesus went on and said, we need to forgive our brothers from our heart. Don't be like that servant. Don't be like that servant. When we understand how much we have been forgiven, how can we not be forgiving people? Forgiveness is not easy. I'm not saying that this is easy. I'm not saying that, that that you just don't have any feelings about it, that you forget the instances. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is this, that you have a choice to forgive and that the person who hurt you is not necessarily wicked. Maybe they were weak. Can you do me a favour? Just stop the recording for one second now. Let's get the music.